Atamaria, welcome to First Up. It's Rapare, Thursday, the 15th of September. Call Nathan Rararariaho. Coming up, we're going to have the latest from London where Henry Riley is there as the Queen lies in state. US stocks have tumbled to their worst day in more than two years. We'll have more from economist Brad Olson. Acting Prime Minister Grant Robertson talks to us about scrapping the traffic light system and other things. And, you know, summer, it's just around the corner, so those cricket pitches will be going to be prepared soon. But there's one problem. We just don't have enough people to put their finger up. The last thing you want to do is equate that to an hourly rate because no one's going to be making a fortune off it, that's for sure. You're doing it for love. I don't like cricket. Kia ora koutou. welcome to First Up, call Nathan Rarere, 10A, and we will begin uh, once again in the United Kingdom. Uh, Queen Elizabeth is now lying in state in Westminster Hall, um, and if you've seen any of the footage, thousands, thousands of people lining up to view the casket. With me now from London is our Henry Riley. Morena Henry, how are you? Hello Nathan, very well, thank you. Okay, so tell me, how, how did uh, how's today played out in England? So today has been rather important, actually. It's one of the most important days, I think, since we had this sad news of the Queen's death. This is the day where members of the public in London, which basically means the rest of the UK, can go and view the Queen's coffin. Now, it was open uh, for a few days at St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh, but now it's open in London. It's obviously a much bigger spectacle in the sense that there are so many people in London uh, who want to go and see uh, the coffin. Also, you know, people from neighbouring areas and London has become totally gridlocked. So just to give you a run through of what happened, um, we had the Queen at around 2.22, very precise. Uh, the Queen was transported from Buckingham Palace, her coffin, uh, which then got her to Westminster Hall for three o'clock. There was then a short service, which was attended uh, by the great and the good, the prime minister, by various members, in fact, all members uh, of the royal family. And it was a very short um, service. The Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, the right Reverend Justin Welby, led it. And that concluded uh, just over an hour, a couple of hours ago. And then from five o'clock, that was the key moment where Westminster Hall is now open and members of the public can go and view the coffin. Now, it's open for ages. So it opens at five o'clock, as I say. It's been open for an hour now. We've had the first people going in. There were people queuing up since Monday, would you believe, Nathan, uh, you know, mm. knowing this moment was going to come because they wanted to be the first people to go and view that historic moment where they could go and view uh, the raw coffin. It will stay open 24 hours a day until 6.30 a.m. on Monday. So although there's a lot of talk that not everyone will be able to go and see it, there's talk that 400,000 people are going to miss out. It is open now 24 hours a day all over the weekend until that 6.30 uh, uh, on Monday morning. So it's proven to be a massive event and London is completely gridlocked at the moment. There's police presence absolutely everywhere and it is like nothing we've ever seen before in the capital. Yeah. Any any um, update on who, you know, who will be in attendance at the funeral, which is uh, next, what, next Monday UK time? There's still speculation. It's been, I suppose, mildly amusing to look at the people who are sort of ruling themselves out. I mean, Jimmy Carter's spokesperson came out and said he hasn't received an invite. I mean, you know, I think Jimmy Carter's in his late 90s. And I don't know if Jimmy Carter necessarily wanted to go to the Queen's funeral, but he's ruled himself out. Uh, there are various other people, particularly members of foreign royal families, who are saying that they will now be in attendance. A good example is Prince Albert of Monaco. Uh, the King and Queen of Belgium will be there. The 
king and queen of Spain. Also, the Japanese emperor is expected to be at the funeral. Um, we're still waiting to hear about various uh, figures such as Barack Obama, something we touched on uh, briefly yesterday. There's still some speculation as well as to whether people like Modi of India will uh, confirm his attendance. It's thought he's been invited. It's also thought the Sri Lankan and Bangladeshi uh, prime minister and president, respectively, uh, have been uh, invited. So we're still not clear on who exactly uh, uh, is going to be there. But, you know, one thing is for certain, it's going to the security presence in London at the moment is crazy. And with all these... um, you know, people from various royal families, from from various governments around the world coming into central London, the security presence is being beefed up massively. And there is a, you know, a real struggle to get moving in the capital. And, you know, even if you're on foot, it will take you probably an hour to get from uh, one one part of London to another, which would normally take about 20 minutes. So it's uh, it's it's a real sense of occasion across the whole of London, Nathan. I was just imagining the small talk of all the community, you know, of all the security details with each other, you know, and then, oh, what do you got? Oh, yeah, you jiu-jitsu black belt? Yep, yeah, yeah, same, yeah. same. That's what I've got. Henry, just in uh, uh, some non-royal news, and I know you'll have feedback, Feelings uh, on this. Uh, let's go to football and a proposal from Chelsea's wow. new owners, the American owners, who uh, are actually also the, the owners of my beloved LA Dodgers. The new owners suggested, "Hey, I know what we should have in, in the in the England soccer: a North versus South All Star game." Your thoughts, Henry Riley? Yeah, I saw this. This, of course, idea from Todd Bowley, um, of course, the the influential businessman. Um, David Dean, the former owner of Arsenal, was doing uh, some interviews this morning and he was asked about this sort of prospect of a European Super League. And I think perhaps alluding to Todd Bowley was saying that it, it feels sort of and it, there's no sort of crude way, non-crude way to say this, but almost un-British. And this whole North versus South All-Star match is something that is completely alien to Brits. It happens in the States. It seems fun. Great. Let's keep it in the States. There is absolutely no <laughs> desire for this sort of strange all-star match of North versus South. We have enough division in the UK of North versus South as it is. This I is think honestly you do it in rugby league, don't you? I'm not pretty sure the rugby league does it. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But football's different, Nathan, for goodness sake. And, you know, it's very well, it's very good of Todd, to, for Todd Bowley to come in here. He's got new ideas. Fine. That keeps it organic. It keeps it fresh. Different ideas are always welcome. <laughs> but no thank you to this North match. We're not having it. <laughs> Good one. Hey, thank you very much. Henry Riley, uh, they're live in the UK. It's 11 past five. Now, this might be something that you're currently dealing with, or this will walk you down memory lane, and I'd like to ask you about it afterwards. So, researchers in Japan say that they've found the best way to soothe the crying baby back to sleep. It's a 10-minute routine, and it can help sleep-deprived parents desperate to get a good night's sleep. The ABC's Angus Randall reports. New parents are swamped with information, advice and old wives' tales when it comes to settling their child. Adelaide mum Kate welcomed Arthur into the world seven months ago. If you want to look up one thing and then you find out how much is out there and there's so many different opinions, once joining a mother's group and you hear what everyone else is doing and then there's all these different methods and some babies self-settle from the start and others have strict routines. Her experience could make other parents green with envy. From the time he was born, he's always seemed to enjoy sleeping and has slept in quite long blocks overnight, which has made things pretty easy, whereas some of the other mums I know have their babies waking up every two hours. But, yeah, Arthur's 
quite good at sleeping at night. Usually he has five or six hour blocks of sleep and just wakes once. New research from the Riken Centre for Brain Science in Japan could help parents desperate for a good night's sleep. The centre looked at four types of settling techniques walking, sitting, moving in a stroller, and lying in a crib. And after trying these techniques in a random order and for a set amount of time, they had their results. The best way to settle is with five minutes of walking with your baby, followed by five to eight minutes of sitting. Professor Harriet Hiscock is a paediatrician at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. For me, a lot of the results were perhaps not surprising. I don't think there's any parent who picks up a crying baby and just stands still with them. Parents intuitively, you know, rock or pat or walk with their babies, and that's what they found, that that sort of movement was associated with, you know, the baby stopping crying, which makes sense. She warns it's not a total cure to avoid sleepless nights, especially because the study had a small sample size of only 21 babies. But there's good news for parents feeling overwhelmed by information. If a technique is working for you, stick with it. No, I mean, mostly the techniques that have been around have been really shown to be effective and safe, and they're the controlled comforting or checking technique when a parent goes back and forth in and out of the bedroom to check on their baby, or the camping out technique where they put a camp chair, a camp bed or chair right next to the baby's cot, and they gradually withdraw themselves from the baby's bedroom over, you know, a couple of weeks. So it's a more gradual process. But I think certainly crying it out, there's a, that's when you just shut the door and don't go back in for the rest the night. That's something that we don't recommend. Not all experts agree on the best way to treat babies struggling to sleep. Dr Brian Simon works with new parents at a medical practice in the east of Adelaide. He believes in early intervention, which can put him at odds with others in his field. I've just um, finished seeing this morning a, an eight-week-old baby who uh, I saw at six weeks who had done nothing but cry for six weeks. And the parents were first-time parents and they were beside themselves with fatigue. Dr Simon says he deals with sleep-deprived parents every day who are struggling with their own mental health. For an average mother in Australia, they'll lose between 800 and 1,000 hours sleep in the first 12 months of the child's life. As a culture, we do pregnancy, uh, we do delivery of babies extremely well. But once the baby's born, um, it all goes pear-shaped. quarter past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarity. I imagine there are many experienced parents in the First Up audience. Some of you we've never heard from before. What was your magic trick? What was the one you used? So that, what do they say? Five minutes of walking and then five minutes of sitting. Uh, 2101 for that. Or first up at rnz.co.nz. And, you know, did the likes of Plunkett help you? Or was it a, an advice from someone that you knew? Or a friend? Or even a wonder book? Let us know. I think we can all relate to that one. Okay, let's go to Europe now. Ukrainians are celebrating gains in the conflict with Russia. A great sway the territory has been won back from the invading Russian forces just in the past few days. So I'm joined from Sweden uh, by our correspondent, Anita Purcell-Sherland. Kia ora, Doctor. How are you? Fine, thank you. Morena. Now, I, this is an interesting thing. So the Ukraine's president, and this is a great show of confidence here, has made a pretty surprise visit there to the territory reclaimed from the Russian forces. Tell us about that. 
Well, he visited the newly liberated um, Izium district in Kharkiv, and he said, actually, even though he was very confident, he said he was shocked by what he saw. Uh, speaking to journalists, he said that the sight of destroyed buildings and killed people was shocking, but unlike the tragedy scene in Bucha, he added that such death and destruction was now part of Ukrainian history and part of the modern Russian nation. Now, in expressing um, thanks to, he also expressed thanks to foreign governments for sending investigators and prosecutors to Ukraine to investigate alleged human rights abuses by occupying forces. President Zelensky also said he has confidence that all occupied areas will eventually return to Ukraine. Right. Um, and keeping it, uh, unfortunately, there's conflict going on there, not far away from there, I guess, in world terms. Uh, the border between Armenia and Azerbaijan, what is happening there? Well, on Monday, fighting on the border between the two countries killed about 100 troops, leading to fears of broader hostilities breaking out between the long-term adversaries. On Tuesday, Russia said it brokered a ceasefire for the latest outbreak, from which Armenia said the clash killed at least 49 of its soldiers, while Azerbaijan said it lost 50. Armenia and Azerbaijan have fought two wars and seen regular smaller clashes span three decades over a region called Nagar. Now, according to internationally recognized borders, it's firmly a part of the mostly Azerbaijan, but is populated by ethnic Armenians. Both countries were part of the Soviet Union, and the dispute between them led to full-scale war in the 1980s and 1990s, and a six-week war in 2020. Mm. I, I wanted to ask you about what's happened there. So, uh, where you are in Sweden, there was an election just recently, and uh, I think what well, looks like the right wing appear to have won a slim majority in that general election. Yeah, it was a bit crazy going into the elections on Sunday. and um, But at the moment, what they're doing is counting over 250,000 overseas votes. And uh, the wait is on to see if they will make a difference to the tight result of Sunday's elections. Basically, uh, what happened on Sunday was the right wing, led by the leader of the Conservative Moderates, Ulf Christensen, um, won 175 seats out of the 30, 149 seats in Parliament. And the left bloc, led by Prime Minister Magdalena Anderson trailed with 174 seats. Uh, the difference between the two blocks was actually 47,000 votes. The big winner, however, is the far-right nationalist Sweden Democrats Party, which took nearly 21% of the 7 million eligible votes, making it the second biggest party in the country behind the left Social Democrats. Now, Christensen now has to try and build a government, but the right wing is troubled with internal divisions such as the smaller Liberal Party threatening to topple the, topple the government if it includes Sweden Democrats. Sweden Democrat leader Jimmy Orkerson insists on being part of the government. And Sweden desperately needs political stability as the country is facing an economic crisis, is in the midst of a NATO application process, and is due to take over the EU presidency next year. Oh, great. That sounds really nice and stable. Uh, <laughs> let's let's go to uh, Hungary. Can you tell me about this? The Hungarian government tightening its abortion rules. How so? Well, basically, um, its new abortion rules will make the process of pursuing a termination more bureaucratic for pregnant women. Basically, from Thursday onwards, that's a Thursday New Zealand time onwards, pregnant women will have to listen to the fetus's heartbeat before having an abortion, and doctors will have to submit a report confirming 
this has been done. Now, Hungary's nationalist government recently blamed increased rates of women in higher education for lower birth rates and a shrinking economy. Abortion has been legal in Hungary since um, 1953, but Amnesty International Hungary said the amended decree would make it very would make it harder to for women to access legal and safe abortion. Yeah, thank you uh, very much uh, on all the news there up north. That's Dr. Anita Purcell Sherland who joins us every week from Sweden. 20 past five right now. I'm Nathan Radere and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, uh, it's our regular Thursday uh, chat with Grant Robertson, of course the Minister of Finance there, and we can ask him about the tumbling exchange rate with the US and how that's going to affect um, everyday New Zealanders. And also, why are the Aussies are pinning their hopes on an impotent insect. Yeah, scientists in Australia, uh, this is really interesting, they've launched this ingenious new program in the fight against fruit flies, and it involves 20 million sterile fruit flies being dropped each week over South Australia's Riverland region, which is near the Victoria border. The idea is that the sterile flies are going to quickly outnumber the existing population and then wipe them on out. The farmers, however, say that dropping 20 million sterile flies a week is nowhere near enough, the ABC's Elijah Bellage reports. South Australia's Riverland is one of the country's biggest food bowls and it's facing an outbreak of fruit flies. Michael Roy owns Roy Farms in Renmark where he grows stone fruit, grapes and pears. You know, we've got a significant problem here and, uh, well, I hope we can get some control of it. But uh, still, it's going to be a costly exercise and uh, the value of the product has to be very high to afford to, uh, to grow that product with fruit fly. His family has been growing fruit for more than 170 years, but current pressures are sending him out of business. I'm looking at transferring away out of the fresh stone fruit industry into more drying the product. I've got certainty of uh, having uh, an income. Fruit flies lay eggs in fruit, and when the eggs hatch, the larvae eat the fruit from the inside, causing it to become a rotting mess. Entire crops can become worthless once infected. Farmer Michael Roy says people driving through the Riverland don't fully understand the threat caused by bringing fruit into the region. There's still a lot of people still bringing fruit into our region from fruit fly infected areas. It just doesn't seem to be stopping. People only have to stop at McDonald's at Remmark and open the window and they can fly out. They don't really understand the full impact for our region here and you know they believe even when they're going across the border they think oh, I've got it in the fridge it'll be okay. Uh, it's not okay. To combat the fruit fly outbreak, the state government is releasing millions of sterile fruit flies. Some are set free from the back of utes, while others are dropped from low-flying planes. The male flies are bred in a lab and sterilised with an X-ray before being released. The idea is to have wild female flies mate with sterilised partners, stopping the insects from creating the next generation in their short life cycle. Mark Dakey is the chair of Citrus SA. He says the region needs more flies. The current level is 20 million sterilised a week, so we want to see that go to 40, and that's quite doable. The sterilisation project helped stop outbreaks of the insect across metropolitan Adelaide last year, but the Riverland depends on its growers, and Citrus SA wants the government to double sterile fly levels by Christmas. They're on board for sure, they want to see it happen as well, but just a bit, as a grower I can make things happen pretty quick on my own farm, but the wheels of government turned a bit slower than I work. The sterile fruit fly plane drops are run by SA's Department of Primary Industries, 
Nathan Rhodes is the Executive Director of Biosecurity. Looking from the ground, even looking from reasonably close, you won't see anything because, of course, the, the, the fruit flies are quite small. We're releasing about 3,000 of them for every hectare, but they'll float down and find their place in the orchard and in the foliage and, and most people would never even be aware or never even see the flies. He says even at current levels, they're on track to make a big difference before the weather warms up. So we've spent the last couple of months working out what are we, what's our best strategy for the spring when the weather warms up. And we, we started that discussion way back at the start of winter. And so we've got a whole lot of new tools that we've never used before. We really are throwing everything at this. So I think there's a bit of um, cautious optimism. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The day of our life that we've always called the 15th of September since they started having the months in this order. Uh, it is Henry Charles Albert David's birthday today. You know him as Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, 1038. One of the uh, the leading members of Club Nathan in New Zealand, Nathan Astle, he's 51. Uh, two, uh, two members of Hollywood have their 76th birthdays today, Tommy Lee Jones and Oliver Stone. But today is a really uh, interesting day. So 1954, one of the most famous pictures of the 20th century. You know, the one of Marilyn Monroe, Monroe she's standing over the, the grate there and she's holding her skirt down as it blows up right. So that was for a movie called The Seven Year Itch and it's on Lexington Avenue on Manhattan Island. That was shot at 1am in the morning. And uh, she was trying to, it was, she was in a, a movie, The Seven Year Itch. She was terrible at doing her lines and she couldn't get them out. And actually the light started to change and it was unusable. They had to go, so they, they kept the, the photograph from it, but they actually had to go and reshoot that inside a, a sound stage. Uh, she's in the movie for a very small amount of time and she was married to an incredibly famous, he was the famous guy at the time, Joe DiMaggio, the, you know, played baseball for the New York Yankees. And her skirt blows up in the movie and he was furious. He stormed out of the movie, uh, said to her it was an exhibition, a stunt, and then he divorced her soon after. So there you are. That's the history behind that very famous picture on this day, the 15th of September. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want the money. Joining us now from our business team is Nicholas Poynton. Kia ora, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Tell me about this job seekers getting more active. Yes, yes, yes. The people over at the job employment website Seek, they collect a lot of data Hmm. and they package it up and they release these monthly reports and they tell us that, yes, job ads rove. Rose 5.5, no, 5.5% over the month of August, but applications per job up 11%. And that's sort of a, a reversal of a trend that we've seen in recent, and in, 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 well, actually for most of the year, where mm. uh, applications per job have just sort of been flat. Well, the job ads have just been going up and up and up and up and up. Right, sort of speaks okay. to, I guess, the uh, talent shortages we're having in, in many parts of the labour market at the moment. But one thing that Seek did, which is a little bit more interesting here, is that they've released the top 20 roles with the fastest growing salaries for the three months into July compared with the previous three-month period. Oh, give me the hits. All right, here we go. So a salesperson. Average salary, seventy, we'll round it up, $78,000 over a three-month period. The advertised role increased by 20%. Yeah. Go down, a, a, a packer, like a fruit packer. Yes, yes. 
up 17.5% over that three-month period to $51,000. Some may say they're starting from a relatively low base there. And then number three, an analyst. Very general, but an analyst in the ICT industry, 17% increase over that three-month period to $97,000. One thing that I... They're giving me the top 20 here. Get good at maths, kids. Wow. They're giving me the top 20 here. No mention of anyone in the media industry. In the media industry, no. So... We can either be a fruit packer, a salesperson, or we could become an analyst. But oh. look, that's that. those are our options at the moment. There are about 20 decent ones to choose from. Encouraging signs to see things like hospitality and tourism mm. uh, industries where people tend to be lower paid, really up in their game, You know, perhaps a reflection of the fact that we do have people coming back to New Zealand. Uh, a lot of people who are working in the industries have left. The people who own those businesses are saying, well, look, we're going to have to pay people more to try and bring them in the door. Yeah. So some encouraging signs there. And, and just uh, just on this one here, I thought it was interesting too that you've, you've got for me, um, that shipping costs were a thing with, oh, this is terrible and that, but it's, it's look, there's a bit of a change in yep. the price. Well, so look, there's a great figure here. We spoke to, this is from Kiwi Bank, but we've got some figures from Natural Freight Forwarding Company. They say a 20-foot container from China to New Zealand now costs about $5,000. Pre-COVID, it was $800. Oof. At its peak, it was 15000 Sorry, my so, eyebrows just went up <laughs> over the top of my head. So things were really bad. They've come off the boil. That's how I've sort of thought, how I've yeah, interpreted this. But they're still but, just above well, a simmer, aren't they? they yeah. yeah, they are a rolling boil. I'm not sure what you'd call that. But um, for sure, it's it, it just shows that this may be the new normal. Who knows? You know, I think we're going to, you know, demand globally will have to really drop off before before we see that truly easing. Definitely. But uh, yeah, look, th- those those are today's main business stories. Big item today will be those GDP figures out at about quarter to eleven. We'll have full coverage of that. Cool. We'll be talking to you about it tomorrow. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Nicholas Poynton. Yeah, you can hear more from the business team on Morning Report at ten to seven. Look, even if uh, the New Zealand exchange rate isn't your bag, have a bit of a listen to this because we're going to talk about it in just a second. Uh, here's what your New Zealand dollar is worth at the moment: sixty point one three US cents, eighty nine point oh five Australian cents, sixty point one five Euro cents, fifty one point nine seven British pence, four point one nine yuan, and eighty six point oh to Japanese yen as well. So that New Zealand dollar there hitting a, a two-year low after US inflation triggered market turbulence. Um, so our share market and responded by dropping 1.2% in the opening minutes of trade. So Air New Zealand, Fisher & Paykel Healthcare and Infratil uh, were down more than 2%. Now, what does that mean for everyday people? So joining us is our economist, who always puts it into a way that I can understand it, which is great and I'm very grateful for. It's Brad Olson. Kia ora, Brad. Kia ora. So tell me first, can you tell us what happened to the US uh, markets and, and also locally? Well, look, no one uh, enjoyed that inflation print out of the US uh, about 24 hours ago, and that sent everyone into a fairly skitterish uh, position. So really what we're seeing, uh, the US markets, of course, went down quite heavily. In fact, I think uh, someone said for the first time since uh, March 2020, 
every single company on the NASDAQ 100 went down uh, over the day. So you, you really were seeing that reaction there. Um, of course, the New Zealand markets dropping as well. And it was all predicated on that expectation, really, that inflation might have been getting under control. Maybe uh, the US Federal Reserve didn't need to do quite as much work with further interest rate hikes. Um, with inflation going up in the US though and, and that core inflation measure rising faster, expectations from the market were that actually the, the uh, Federal Reserve will have to continue to go hard to try and get inflation under control. And if they're lifting rates, then that's not a good thing for, for the stock market at all. No one's uh, quite as keen on those higher costs. So, so how does the NZX tend to respond to that? We we generally do follow uh, most of those big international trends, especially because uh, there's enough that how you know companies are structured and similar means that uh, how the likes of the US, one of the largest economies, goes will affect eventually affect how our own businesses go. Uh, but we did see as well a little bit less of, or, or, or a, um, a more limited effect in the New Zealand stock exchange, just because really when you look at some of our businesses, we're a little bit more defensive. We're not sort of uh, quite as hardcore with the likes of the tech stocks and similar. Uh, you know, we've got more energy companies, which often are a little bit more uh, defensive, a, a little bit more limited in, in their scope. Everyone's always going to need power, uh, no matter, you know, where interest rates are. Uh, no one, not everyone's going to need the latest Tesla or the latest, uh, you know, iPhone if, if interest rates have started to rise. So we did see a more limited effect. And I think I think you just mentioned before um, that at the start of trading, it was down 1.2%, the, the NZX50. Uh, that sort of came back to just a 0. I think it was 0.89% fall at the end of trade. So we clawed back a bit, uh, but still a, a fairly down downbeat day given that people were expecting and, and I think realistically hoping for some better news on the inflation front globally. Um, they didn't get that and, and that really has set the tone uh, for the rest of the, the economic conversation that inflation is not over yet and, and thinking that it is is certainly seeming to be quite premature. Right. And just very quickly, if there's people listening going, well, I haven't got stocks, so... So how does that affect me? Like, how does it affect an everyday New Zealander who perhaps doesn't play the stock market? Yeah, well, I mean, it, most people have got a KiwiSaver these days, um, and it means that their KiwiSaver balance probably look, is looking a bit worse uh, if they were to check it this morning than if they were to check it yesterday or the day before. Um, I think important, though, uh, particularly with the likes of the stock market, is unless people are putting three phones to their ear every second of every day and, and you know acting like a stock trader from Wolf of Wall Street, um, most people are in it for the slightly longer term. And so you sort of ride the ups and the downs. Uh, you need to consider your risk profile if you are worried, if you're thinking uh, about what that means for you, your retirement fund, or, or how much cash uh, you might have available at some point, talk to your financial advisor. But I think we've seen time and time again, um, you know, the markets are shifting around quite a bit based on the latest economic news. And it's it's been a very volatile, you know, nearly three years now uh, throughout the pandemic. So um, important, you know, to take advice and have that conversation if needed. Uh, but sort of acting brashly and with a hot head hasn't made too many people uh, all that rich when they aren't looking at the market all the time and, and when they are sort of, uh, you know, more of an armchair investor. I want that. I want the three phones and I want to be pointing. It sounds great. Uh, from Infometrics, that's Brad Olson. Thank you very much, sir.
I've been asking this morning, what were your magic tricks to, for getting uh, babies to sleep? Here's one uh, that came in. Morena, I breastfed and slept with mine. Was not the thing to do, but made sense to me, and we slept well. Uh, no name with that one. Another one's come in here. Duct tape worked wonders for my parents. Can't thank them enough. I had no problem falling asleep uh, once they shut up. That's good. I like what you did there. Uh, now, it, uh, we're on our way to 6 o'clock, 21 to 6. I'm Nathan Rarity. You're listening to First Up here in RNZ National. Between now and 6, you're going to hear about uh, a shortage of cricket umpires and also the, prior, the acting Prime Minister, Grant Robertson, joins the show. The Professionals of Morning Report are with you up after 6. It is Susie Ferguson who's here now with a, a preview of what is coming up. Kia ora, Susie. How are you? Kia I'm well. How are you going? I'm good. Now, we, we're talking about getting babies to sleep. Uh, do you mm. know, are you familiar with monitor chicken? No. That's when the two of you are there, you're lying in bed and you hear the mm. monitor. And you know when you hear the, the first stirrings <laughs> of awake. And both of you do half wake up, but then you play the game of chicken where you both lie there and mm. pretend to be asleep until it's like the, you know, and then when Kelly would hear, I know you're awake, you're not snoring. Like, ah, that's when oh. I left to go into monitor chicken. Everyone's played yes. it. Yes. Right. Yeah, true. Oh, we didn't actually have a baby monitor. Oh, so we, we yeah. had an we had an apnea thing we had to worry about. So we had that, we, that little oh, apnea monitor. Yeah, we just played the the chicken game without the monitor. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, uh, what what is happening uh, this morning on uh, Morning Report? Well, we will be taking you to London, of course, for the very latest with. Uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, now the Queen is lying in state at Westminster Hall in London. Uh, that queue, as you were hearing there in uh, the headlines, five kilometres long of people who are filing past her coffin. And there's been, uh, as you can anticipate, of course, a huge amount of pomp and ceremony in London as the Queen's casket was moved from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall, where she will be until uh, ahead of her funeral, so she's there, she's there for another four days. Also, we will be checking in on this uh, report that's come out on the TY Point aluminium smelter and the environmental pollution yeah. that has come from that as a result. And, of course, also taking a look to the All Blacks gearing up for the first of the Bledisloe Cup tests. That's happening in Melbourne tonight. All of that coming up after six. Thank you very much, Susie Ferguson. Well, as uh, you would have heard a little earlier in the programme, there the New Zealand dollar fell to a two-year low yesterday after US inflation triggered some market turbulence. So luckily, that coincides with our weekly chat with Grant Robertson, who, with the Prime Minister overseas, is the acting Prime Minister. So lucky still, he's also the Minister of Finance. How good is that? So I asked him if alarm bells were set off in his office when the dollar plummeted. Not especially, no. I mean, firstly, that had been picked by a number of the forecasters, the bank forecasters and so on. Obviously, the dollar is no longer a fixed thing. It's floated, and that's happened many decades ago. And it means that where the New Zealand dollar sits is subject to a number of different factors, some of which are about the strength of the New Zealand economy, but many of which are about what's happening internationally. And in particular, this comes off the back of data out of the US around inflation. That's in turn affected people's perception of what the Federal Reserve in the United States will do with interest rates, and that then flows all the way through to currencies like the New Zealand dollar. So it's a bit of a reflection of the unstable, uncertain and fairly negative global economic environment at the moment. Mm. And because we're a, a traded currency within that, this can happen from time to time. So, so what does that mean then for uh, imports and you know even the price of imported goods? Because I guess it's good for exports, right? Because it's cheaper for them to buy, so they'll buy more of our stuff. What about stuff coming in the other way that we don't make? 
Yeah, and look, a lot of that will depend on how people have put their orders together, but but you rightly point out that our our exporters tend to do slightly better in these situations because because it is um, you know cheaper for people to buy the goods on the other side. The cost of imports can rise. Obviously, imports that are arriving at the moment will have been bought in, in with the dollar at a slightly different point. It'll depend a lot on whether or not they've hedged themselves those importers to bring things in earlier. But yeah, there will be some impact on people because there will be um, increased costs if they're paying in New Zealand dollars. Okay, so when you hear that, you, you as a government, does that mean you're planning for yet another economic downturn? Well, we certainly know that 2020 has been a tough year right around the world economically and, and including here for many people in New Zealand. And, you know, for example, the, the IMF have reduced their global growth forecast by about half for this year. So there is, you know, there's a very difficult time around. In terms of New Zealand, you know, we've got reasons to be optimistic about our economy. Our exports are still selling well. We've got tourism coming back on board, international students and so on coming back. So, yep, look, we're, we're very aware that the global economy is has been slowing. But from a New Zealand perspective, we feel we're well positioned to deal with that. But we're also not immune from its impacts. Mm. So what does all that mean then for the likes of inflation and uh Interest rates. You will certainly, obviously, right around the world where we're seeing central banks like our Reserve Bank, like the Federal Reserve in the US, increasing interest rates to, to try to bring inflation down. That trend is going to continue. And that's actually what drove a lot of the activity in the US, which in turn has affected our, our dollar here. In terms of our own Reserve Bank, most economists are predicting that inflation peaked in the, in the June quarter in New Zealand. But obviously, the Reserve Bank has a, a schedule to try to bring inflation down back to its one point one to three percent ban so yet we certainly have you know in a period now where reserve banks around the world are lifting those interest rates and that flows through to, to people's mortgages the government also announced a 24 million dollar scheme and this is going to bring in a thousand teachers into the workforce so 300 trained up domestically 700 from overseas so why does teaching and education move to the front of the queue in this and not some of the other industries that have been hoping that they could uh, bring workers in Oh, look, you know, we, we are working with a range of sectors, including the healthcare sector and a, and a range of other industries um, in construction and, and engineering and so on. And our, our immigration rebalances targeted those sectors. We're also doing that for teachers. And we do need to do a pretty specific campaign here. We know that obviously teachers are in demand both in New Zealand and around the world. And there are countries that we've traditionally gone to to try to get teachers. We need to get back into those markets. We haven't been in them for a couple of years. And, and that's what a large part of this funding is for, is to get out there, find those teachers and support them to come here. And you know, it's been a long tradition of, of teachers coming over and spending time in New Zealand. They they enrich our classrooms. We've also got to be training our own people and there's a long-term plan to do more of that. But right now, um, we're facing a bit of a shortage and we, we have to look overseas as well. Yeah, it's been a couple of times I've walked in on American teachers in the old days doing Zoom calls home to their family and going, the kids don't wear any shoes out on the field. It's crazy. <laughs> it's the, it's the <laughs> hey, um, obviously, traffic light system gone. It was a, a you know, a, the, the framework was a big part of our lives. Um, here in New Zealand. I still see, though, there's what, one th- I saw the reports today, 1,539 reported community cases, 59 at the border. I understand the whole lot, we, we couldn't live under that forever and we weren't planning to, but there's a lot of people in society, whether they be disabled, immunocompromised, it, it's quite scary for them. What, what do you say to them? Because some of them are thinking of just withdrawing from society. 
Yeah, look, and I absolutely understand the the anxiety that, that comes with being a person who lives with a compromised immunity or feels vulnerable. And the first thing that's important to say is we, we make these decisions on the basis of public health advice, and we wouldn't be doing things that put people at risk. We're at a point in the pandemic where we believe that we have got it as under control as we We've certainly had it at any point this year. And, you know, we feel that we are in a position to start to remove some of the, the rules and regs that we had. But we still have significant ones. For example, you know, if you do get COVID, we expect you, we require you, in fact, to stay home for seven days. And in those healthcare settings where we are likely to see more vulnerable people, we require you to wear masks. And we are still encouraging people to wear masks in other settings as well. But our judgment is we're at a point now where we can move forward in this way, but we only do that when we're confident that the health risks can be managed. And obviously, you know, we ask people to think of those around them who are immunocompromised or who are in a vulnerable position. Think about your own behaviours, ask about wearing masks. Um, I think it's really important that we, we normalise wearing masks for people because it's actually a good health protection, even if you're perhaps feeling a little unwell yourself, to, to do that. And so, you know, we really do want people to continue to think of others, but we do feel we're in a strong position now to, to be able to move forward. Will you keep wearing a mask at work? Like when we see parliamentarians on TV, do you, do you think that Labour MPs and Green MPs and people on your side will continue to wear their masks? A lot of it's situational. You know, within the parliamentary precinct, it's it's a, it's a fairly eerie place, you know, high ceilings, good ventilation. It feels like a place that I personally am comfortable not wearing a mask. I was on a flight last night. I wore a mask on that flight because in that kind of more confined area, I felt um, that I wanted to do that. I think people are going to make these choices, and I think we need to support them in making those choice, positive choices to wear a mask depending on the circumstances they're in and the people that they're with. Uh, finally, the Prime Minister's off to the UK for the Queen's funeral next week. Uh, I'm just wondering your sense of significance at a time like this. And I'm wondering, have, the, the new King, have you met him prior or did you meet Queen Elizabeth? I have met King, as he is now, King Charles III. Um, I met him three or four years ago, um, very briefly, I might say. But he and, and Camilla, the, the Queen Consort, as she's now called, were very pleasant. I didn't meet Queen Elizabeth the second. But I'm one of those New Zealanders, I think it feels I almost did because I associate her so much with my grandmother. Um, and I think for a lot of New Zealanders, that's kind of where this sits in a way. You know, there are a few things in our lives that give us permanence. And I think family is probably the main thing that gives us permanence. And because she's been around for, you know, all of our adult lives, Nathan, that we have that feeling that of, of permanence and almost whanau associated with her. So... Yeah, look, I think it's a very significant moment. She's presided over an extraordinary period of time and and the world's changed a lot and lots of reflection for New Zealand to do. But I think this immediate period is is just thanking her for her service and acknowledging um, the arrival of, of a new monarch in, in King Charles. Just finally, is, is, do you have any idea when King Charles's face will be on our money? A lot of people want to know this one. <laughs> yeah, look, not right away is the short answer to the question. When new notes come to be printed in the future, no doubt he will be on them, but there's plenty of cash in circulation. But what I want to reassure people is it's all still legal tender with the Queen on it. You've got no worries there. <laughs> was that, that tweet that I saw somewhere is like, yes, just send it to me just in case you're worried. <laughs>
It's the acting Prime Minister Grant Robertson. Uh, we head towards six o'clock. Yes, summer around the corner. The day's getting a little bit longer, so the cricket pitch is just about set to be prepared. One problem, however, is the shrinking number of umpires that are available to officiate matches. So it's prompted one of the associations to take to job hunting website Seek to look for candidates. Our reporter, Leonard Powell, pitched this story, so we sent him into bat. Oh, that's close. Too much bounce. Too much bounce. It nipped back. Oh, he's given him. Oh, no. That's a dreadful decision. That is a dreadful decision. Umpires and referees are special people. The game can't happen without them, but they're often the first to cop it when they make a mistake. It can be a thankless job. Not for the first time, County's Monaco Cricket Association is using the website Seek to attract more umpires. Phil Norville is the official's coordinator for the association. An umpire himself, Norville knows it's a real-time commitment. You know, it does take up the whole day. It's not like a lot of these other sports when it might be over in sort of 80 or 90 minutes. It's a full day when you're out there in the middle. Norville says the response so far has been largely positive, though warns applicants it's no place to get rich. The issue is that we get plenty of people who are interested and they think, oh, it's, it's, it's a paid gig, you get paid. Um, I say, yes, yes, you, you, you do, you get, if you like, your expenses covered. But the um, last thing you want to do is equate that to an hourly, uh, an hourly rate because no one's going to be making a fortune off it, that's for sure. You're doing it for love. I don't like cricket, Doing it for love and an $80 match fee. Some games fetch $105 if the umpire is required at both ends, in which case members of the batting side take turns umpiring from square leg. Glenn Shack, or Magoo as he is known in the cricketing circles, has been umpiring for over 20 years. A life member of County's Monaco Cricket, he loves being amongst the action, or as he would call it, at the sharp end. I always like uh, liken it to uh, having the best seat in the house because I've been quite privileged to watch some fairly good players from what we call the sharp end um, over the years and, and from square leg. And uh, it's a, it, you get a really good uh, view of some pretty extraordinary cricketers. Money, he says, isn't a driving factor when it comes to being out in the middle. We get paid all right for a day's work. But, you know, it's more than just that day that you have to put in. It's mostly guys who love cricket and like myself and Phil and, you know, other guys. We've had good playing careers. Now we just want to give back to the next generation, so to speak. And that's why, you know, we want to do this job. We love counties. We love cricket. Phil Norville says keeping new umpires isn't the issue. It's about attracting a fresh crop to accompany what is becoming an ageing team of officials. We've done a pretty good job locally in, if you like, retaining umpires, and, and that's always been you know, quite quite tough. But where we've been sort of losing them is that some of our umpires have been around for a wee while, and they're getting a bit bit, bit long in the tooth, and you know, struggling to see and, and, and hear the ball at the other end. So they've sort of realised that you know, it's time to, to hang up the counter, as it were. So we need to re- replenish those, um, you know, the older stocks and get some new guys in there. Work is being put in to ensure the respective umpires has been seen to, including docking teams' runs for dissent towards match officials. No-one wants to go out on their Saturday and their, you know, their time off um, to get someone uh, abusing them. Norville has a message for those who may be curious about getting involved. Take the opportunity. It's a great place to be. 
it really gives you a, an inside view as to you know, how the game can be played. And um, you, you get to make good uh, friends along the way. Umpiring qualifications are required at certain levels, a process the association is happy to help applicants work through. So if you think you've got what it takes to raise the finger and could do with some pocket money to half fill the fuel tank or supermarket basket, get in touch with your local association. Summer's on its way. Kept his nerves, the umpire, and made the right decision once again. Leonard Powell. Right arm over from the northern end. Steve F of Wilson writes, That's Muddy and Nathan. My first daughter slept most of the night. The second had colic. My strategy back then was to walk, walk, walk. Perhaps I should have tried sitting down too. Pip says, My suggestions don't, don't have any babies. Well, I did. And Nan Millet. Nan's written us actually a, quite a detailed one. I'll try and get through it here. Good morning. I had many lullabies in different languages that I sang to my three children after a simple evening prayer. Then I laid them firmly wrapped baby to sleep on their tummies on a New Zealand baby sheepskin atop a horsehair mattress in the family bassinet we endeavoured to establish a routine for the evening uh, which tales included a story wow Nan that is care that is a massive amount of care and I think it's wonderful look uh, you can get in touch with us anytime uh, by uh, and also too don't forget to download the podcast Morning Report is next with Susie and Kim Uh, from all of us here at First Up have yourselves a wonderful day and if you're having trouble getting to sleep tonight remember walk around for a bit Rock yourself a little bit and then lie down. And just close your eyes. Alright, there we go. From all of us here at first up, enjoy your sleep tonight.